Besser centers. And here's Pedersen. Scores! Hello everyone, welcome to episode 33 of the Avid Discussers Podcast, last one of 2020, our first year in operation. Hope you all had a good Christmas. I did. It's your host, Josh Ray, your boy, per usual. You know who it is. Yes, I hope you all had a good Christmas. I did. And uh, didn't get as many gifts as I'm this year well. I mean, I didn't even know what I wanted for Christmas, to be honest. But it's been—it's lower than this year's pa- in the past years because of the pandemic and all that. But there were some good presents. The best one, a Nintendo Switch. So I finally have another gaming console, and my mom got it for me and my sister. It's—it's like a, it had like a Fortnite bundle. Whatever, I'm, I'm never going to play Fortnite, so screw that. But there's also Super Mario Brothers U on the Switch and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I've been having a lot of fun with those games, though Mar- Super Mario Bros. Uh, U is so frustrating. And in terms of Mario Kart, I, I would say I'm pretty good at that game. Yeah, I would, but I'm still trying to figure out like drifting on the Switch because it was much easier on the Wii in the DS back in the day but other than that I got this awesome hockey book called the official NHL hockey treasures so it's like a NHL history book but it has replicas of a of artifacts and like rare hockey memorabilia there's like a one of the first hockey players contracts some old hockey cards Tickets, a ticket from the last game of Maple Leaf Gardens, a schedule from the 1930s, a letter from President Reagan to Frank Ziegler, who was the NHL president in the 80s. I believe he was the last one before Batman. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Maybe I'll start reading a, an art, artifact from the book. I think I'll, I think I'll start on the next episode, not this one. Other than that, didn't get a lot of clothes this year well. Because I barely go out nowadays anyway. Uh, got some cash, a lot of gift cards. Other than that, not a lot of hockey stuff other than the book. And nothing really with a Canucks logo. Well, the Canucks are mentioned in the book, and there was a picture of the Canucks in the 70s. But no, like, Canucks jerseys, no shirts, no hats. Not like what I usually get. Uh, especially now, because. In a way, because I'm technically working 
I'm not I'm not an accredited media member yet, but I'm. Uh, this is technically well for now my job, the podcast, and writing, and it feels I don't cheer for the Canucks like as I used to, like I fist bump for a goal or not. But uh, yeah, I kind of admit I am losing my passion for a bit. I don't wear my jersey that often anymore uh, because well, people were right that. If you if you want to be working in this industry, you gotta your fandom will kind of die down, and it kind of is dying down. But I still love the steam. Uh, I don't cheer. I'm not gonna cheer for them like the way I used to, like a few years ago. But uh, I I will always love the steam, and I'll always be a fan, like deep down in my heart. And even to, when I do become a media member, I obviously won't cheer for them, like in the press box, because that's that is taboo. That is not allowed. But in my heart and my mind. I will always. But another thing, um, got a thing about Christmas is gift cards. I really love having gift cards. I got gift cards to EB Games, McDonald's, and like a bunch of other places I go to. And uh, I, it's basically free money to buy stuff at those stores. And another thing too, before getting into the sports talk, now that I have a Switch, also. By the way, I also don't have a PS4 or a Xbox One. I'm still stuck on Xbox 360 because I could never afford one. Yeah, I'm that behind. And now that I have a Switch, I plan on doing some Twitch streams in the future. Now, if you don't know what Twitch is, um, how do I explain this? It's uh, it's like you're going live, like a live stream, but you're playing video games and other people watch you. Excuse me, and comment, and can comment and stuff. So I plan to do that with my Switch. Uh, I'll stream some Mario Kart, some Super Mario Brothers. Uh, I want to get FIFA 21, so I'll stream that. I wish they made NHL for the Switch, because that would be pretty cool. I can do a Canucks GM mode. And uh, you can watch me fail, rage, and occasionally succeed at, the, at those games. So... Uh, nothing set in stone yet. I plan on getting a capture card in January. So I can stream. And when I do, and I get FIFA and probably another game or something. I can play some online with maybe some of you guys. Or some friends of mine that I know. Then we'll stream. And it'll be fun. But moving on from that. The Canucks. They're going to be playing at home. And... The schedule has, was released just before Christmas. All Canadian schedule. They will open the season in Edmonton back-to-backs. And this is going to be chaotic and fun at the same time. And Canucks fans are going to be sick of the other Canadian teams uh, quickly. Because they're like, two, at least back to, like, how do I explain this? There are games like... They're playing, like, for them, they're playing the Oilers twice, the Flames twice, the Leafs, like, four times in a row or something like that. It's going to be, it's going to be fun and chaotic. And there's quite a bit of back-to-backs, about six or seven. And it's going to be interesting how the goalies are rested and all the travel schedule. And there's hardly any rest in between games, like, mostly just one day off. There are two days off occasionally, but... Uh, in late March, there is also a six-day break between a game against the, J- the Jets 
and the flames. Like, like how how old they need this team adjusted the travel schedule and fatigue will be a factor in games. It's going to be interesting to see. And you know, like new rivalries could be created and existing ones they're going to be like enhanced even further like the Battle of Ontario, Montreal Toronto rivalry and the Battle of Alberta especially. But the Canucks, the rivalries between the Oilers and Flames Oh, they're going to get even more heated, especially with Calgary stealing all the free agents. And the Leafs, even though they're not really a rival, but back in the day, they played in the same co- in the same conference. And, um, Canucks fans and Leafs fans are quite brutal to each other on Twitter and other social media sites. And it, it's going to be fun in terms of, like, roast banter, roasting, and memes. It will be fun. And it's good, it will be good to see the Canucks playing at Rogers Arena. Although, but no fans at all. Um, it's gonna be be quite fun be- to see them play there again. It'll be refreshing. They haven't played there since March 10th against the Islanders. Yeah, it, it'll be good to see. It will be good. There have been some minor NHL transactions. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say minor for some of them. Like Chara, just a few, like an hour ago, this re- he's heading to the Capitals. Brassard is heading to the Carolina Hurricanes. Corey Perry is, is a Montreal Canadian. Um, there are a lot of PTOs. Some minor trades. Especially with the Ottawa Senators some re-signings, but any involving the Canucks? No. Uh, I highly doubt there'll be any before the season starts, like another trader signing. Highly doubt it. So, um, the Canucks, the season's upon us, training camp's upon us, it'll be interesting to see who come, makes the team, and who's on the taxi squad. And, hold on, uh, let me get some water. I'm just going to pause the recording. Okay, that's better. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, the Canucks training camp's beginning. Um, on the third. Uh, season begins on the 13th. Be interesting how the lineup works. Then the Canucks are our worst team than last year. It, it's, you can't deny that. Just looking at the team on paper, they're worse than last year, and they're pretty much a bubble team. Like, this is a team that uh, could make the playoffs or couldn't, and uh, things gotta go right if they want to make the playoffs, obviously, but the Athletics' Dom and I can never pronounce his name right, and Money Puck, they both have the Canucks finishing 6th in the division and a lot of people aren't gonna like those predictions obviously money puck is about odds and Dom the Drushkin of the athletic he uses like war generator analytics like projecting using numbers and wins above replacement shot share and all that stuff to be honest six in the division 
I don't think they're gonna be that bad. They're gonna be that bad, but it's understandable why some people would think that. Like, take a look at this team. They lost two top a top a, a top four top six defensemen in Troy Stetcher. Solid. Um, their MVP of last year, Jacob Markstrom, is gone to Calgary. Chris Tanev is gone, though he was declining. A very good top six winger in Tyler Toffoli is gone. A good, bo- a deaf. He didn't play all of last season, but a good deaf player in Josh Levo is gone. The bottom six is still not, not very good, and the defense has taken a step back. The goaltending, Braden Holby did not have the best couple of years, but again, all the faith in Ian Clark to turn him around and Demko. Is he ready to, for the starting job? Can he find his mark in the NHL? This team's going to be relying a lot on their top six. And guys like Miller, Pedersen, Besser, Horvat. And on defense, Quinn Hughes. Uh, he's going to be kind of carrying them. Though not as much now, thanks to Nate Schmidt. And that's a sol- again, that is a solid pickup. But, sixth. I can understand it, but it's not really going to happen, in my opinion. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks do finish 6th. It, it will suck if they finish 6th in the division. But I don't see them finishing from there. They're like a team that could finish 3rd, 4th, 5th, or 6th, in my opinion. 2nd, I don't think so. Maybe. Definitely not 1st in the division, but I will be happily surprised if they do in it's obvious that the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're the best team in the Canadian division. I know a lot of Canucks fans are going to be like, Stop sucking the Leafs dick. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But take a look at their their roster, and they did have a pretty good offseason. They provided some, uh, some depth in Simmons and Thornton. Some veteran depth. Um, they, they improved their defense. I think Barry would fit in more. With the Leafs, then Tyson, I mean, TJ Brody would fit in more than Tyson Berry would with the Leafs. Um, of course, they still, they got one of the, the best top sixes in the league. Like Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner. Uh, the, the bottom six doesn't look, actually looks pretty, pretty decent with Kerfoot, VC, Robertson, Spezza. Defense looks better, though it's still not, like, great. And, of course, you know, goaltending, it's been a problem for the Leafs, especially with Anderson's consistency issues. And we're not sure if Jack Campbell can hold held his ground as a backup, because, yeah, goal, their last year's backup, I believe, was Michael Hutchinson. It's, um, it wasn't very good. But I like what the Leafs have built. I like what Dubas has built. And they, they are better. And the only question is now is, are they going to finally get past the first round? Uh, we'll see about that come playoff time. But yeah, I just don't see anyone topping the Toronto Maple Leafs in the division. And then you got the other Canadian teams like the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, let's take a look at their lineup, and they had a pretty 
uh, it was a pretty up and down off season. Josh Anderson is a good player, but his contract that's gonna bite them in the ass eventually. Uh, Tyler, the Tyler Toffoli um signing for them. I mean, we've seen what he did in Vancouver. Solid top six winger who can score goals and put up some points. He gives them a boost. Uh, Philip Deneau, I think, is pretty underrated. Gallagher, still one of my favorite Habs. Tatar, um, and Zing Suzuki, pretty good top six. Bottom six, I mean, it's actually, Druin has his consistency issues, same with Kakanyemi. But Paul Byron and Joel Armia are good depth players. And defense, um, and Sherrod's pretty Underrated. Jeff Petrie too. Shea Weber, though he isn't as good as he used to be, still pretty solid. I mean, Joel Edmondson's in pretty, though at the contract, it's, despite his contract, is not a bad pickup. Uh, and then they're going to be relying a lot on Gary Price, and Jake Allen's going to hopefully take off some of the load. Uh, we'll see how that works. But Montreal, uh, they could be, su they could surprise some teams too. And, Maybe they could finish higher than the Canucks. They maybe they couldn't. They're they're an interesting team. Um, the Ottawa Senators. They're gonna finish last, no doubt about that. Um, I mean they still they're on their way up, but they still got a way to go. And it, just looking at them on paper, it's a it's a bad team though. Brady Kachuk, um, Tim. Stutzla, or who will maybe start the season after the World Juniors. Like, Thomas Shabbat is a great, one of the best young defensemen in the NHL. Uh, they added Evgeny Dedanov for some scoring. But on defense, woof. Uh, they got Zaitsev and Good Branson on there. I can't, I'm a, oh dear. And Matt Murray is their, and their starter. I'm not sure about that one. And Marcus Hogwarts. So, Pretty obvious that they're gonna finish last in the league. Uh, another uh, look at look at the Jets. Uh, I'm not too crazy about their defense, though they have a very solid top six. Um, and their forward depth, it uh, it doesn't look too bad. And Jack Roslovic, who um. Is their third line center? It's been announced today. Today's thirtieth. This will be on, released on the thirty-first. He's he he wants trade. He wants out. Their bottom six. I mean, it's not bad. It's not good. It could be better. Uh, defense. Uh, it's like the bottom four. That doesn't impress me though. Josh Morrissey's taking a step back last year, but he looks to build. To bounce back, which I think he can. Dylan DeMello, I really wanted the Canucks to sign him as a replacement for Tanev, but he's a solid def defenseman. And in goal, they're going to be relying a lot on Connor Hellebuck, and I expect him to have, be an absolute beast. So the Jets, they could give the Canucks some trouble too, but I'm not really too appe uh, appealed with their defense. And some of their death for for forwards. A uh, Calgary. I mean, 
what can I say? I mean, after crashing out of the playoffs, they wanted they wanted to improve. They have a solid starter now in Markstrom. On defense, Mark Giordano, though he's older, didn't have the best season last year. He could bounce back. Adding Chris Tanev to their top four, though though we know he is on the decline, it it makes them better down there. Hannafin and Anderson, uh, that's a good young defensive pairing. The Flames have uh, their top six. They gotta find some consistency, like especially like guys like Goudreau and Monahan. Like they tend to disappear. Uh, but I expect them to uh, take it up a notch this year. Magnapani, um, I, I find him pretty underrated, and he's actually a solid, like, top six, top nine player. And their bottom six isn't that really appealing, though I like Derek Ryan, I like Dylan Dubé. Um, Lucic, Nordstrom, uh, just a It's all, the Lucic in his contract, it's just not as good as he used to be. Nordstrom, I'm not really too fond of him. I hear that he he kind of doesn't really do much. Well, he does provide a little bit of offense and some grit, but heard he can turn the puck over. Dominic Simon, I'm not sure about him, but Calgary. This looks like not a bad. Looks looks like a good team, and I expect them to be second in the division behind Toronto. And then there's, I mean, before we get to Edmonton, they. Um, uh, this is a team, the Canucks, um, they're gonna be, um, dogging, uh, what's the word, fighting for that, for playoff spot, and the Oilers, obviously they got two of the best players in the world, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a nice, is a good fit for the top six. Kyler Yamamoto's also pretty good, but their their death and their defense it's it's a concern. Also, their goaltending they could have looked to improve their goaltending, but instead, just instead of going after a free agent like Markstrom or Holpe, they get Mike Smith and Mika Koskinen and Oscar Clefbaum. He's out for the season. He's one of their best defensemen. If not their best defensemen. So. Um, the Oilers. Um, they're Again. This is a team that's going to re- be relying a lot on McDavid and Dreisaitl. And if one of them goes down. Um, they're they're kind of screwed. But. Honestly. this Another team that the Canucks. Are going to be fighting. For a playoff spot with Mighty End of Season, which I see. So, other than Toronto and Ottawa being first and last, it's anyone's game. I've said this before, it's anyone's game. Okay, let's talk about the World Juniors, which are going on. Um, Silly Pot Colson. He. Had two points and assist last night against Austria. And he looked solid. He his shot looked good. He was battling hard in the bo- along the boards and in the corners. 
making some great defensive plays, shot blocking, helping transition the puck up the ice, making some excellent passes. He looked like the player that scouts have been raving about. Past the two games against uh, the Czechs and the Americans, he did look good, but it was a pre- it was pretty quiet. And after those games, Canucks fans, some Canucks fans, not all, were like, "Oh my God!" But Carlson isn't scoring. Um, but Carlson, he's he can't. He's gonna be a third line grinder. Oh my God! He's a bust. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! What a waste of a pick. Shut up. Like. I know I've mentioned this before. In the KHL, he isn't scoring that much because he's not being his deployment is awful, and it's not a develop dele- a league for development. And oh, he's leaving anyway, so why should Ska give him some more ice time? But though well, they, I think they should. But but Colson will be fine. He will be a solid NHL player. Someone I think he and Paul Horvat, they're gonna work. I think they're gonna look good together. But you can't judge a player based on this World Junior Tournament alone. Like some players, they have absolutely dominated the World Junior Tournament. Take a Cody Hodson. Uh, unfortunate what happened to him. He could have been the next big thing for the Canucks. But he turned out to be um, not a, just like a bottom six guy in the NHL. And he's now out of the league. Jordan Schrader, another Canucks draft pick. He was a beast with Team USA, but a bust. So, some players, uh, I'm sure they're going to be like not producing at the World Junior level, but they will do fine in the NHL. Like, uh, I think Braden Point didn't have a very good, didn't produce a lot in the World Juniors. I knew the, I know Connor McDavid did, but it wasn't like the best. Well, look at them. Uh, another example, like Casey Middlestad, he had a good World Juniors, but I guess he's now looking like a, a bust. And I can't pull. And at the time, Canucks fans wanted him, but thank God, Jim Benning and I guess Judd Brackett chose Elias Patterson, but point here is it's the world juniors it really doesn't define who you're gonna the player is gonna be in the nhl but colson i ex- expect him to build on his play in the in the round robin and he's been playing playing fu- good and he's he's gonna be fine he will be just fine like seriously I really hate the f- people are saying like he's gonna be a bust because he isn't scoring in the World Juniors. Well, he scored two goals and got an assist last night. How'd you like that, huh? And I can't wait to to see him in, in the in the NHL. Like he he is NHL ready. Scouts have said that. Like that two way game, his skating. Uh, like that's what I, that's what. GMs and coaches love. Though his point production um, and the shot that could be worked on, but 
I, I, I kind of, I have faith that he'll turn that around. Like, he isn't really known for being a goal scorer. Like, he's mostly a guy who, like, who battles around the boards and makes some passes and plays two-way hockey. And especially on the defensive side, that's where he's pretty good. And he's very good at strong on the puck, too. And try and a f- being a fierce competitor, but that can change when he reaches the NHL. Because he has the tools to be a solid NHL player. And uh, as I mentioned, is NHL ready? He looked very good last night against Austria. I know it's Austria. Wait till why can't wait till he plays a real team like Canada. Maybe he he he's saving up the rest of his goals for Canada. Who knows? But he looked great. And in the last the first two games, he was all right, though he wasn't terrible. But he could have been um used better, like. They were parking him in front of the net. Like, he's not really that type of guy. He's the type of guy to create plays and score some goals. But, it's refreshing to see him score two and get an assist. Like, clean passing last night. Uh, very good on the battles. Um, good at taking away the puck in the offensive, the, the neutral zone and the defensive zone. So... Uh, very happy with Puck Olsen. And thankfully, um, he's scoring again. And he can um, continue that in the World Juniors and prove the doubt is wrong. Another Canucks prospect that is at the World Juniors is Arvid Kostner. He, if you don't know, he was a 7th round pick, I believe. By the Canucks in the 2019 draft. Yep, 2019 draft. He and Sweden are take leading group B. And he's even scored a goal at the World Juniors against the Swiss, I believe. No, not the Swiss. The, the Slovaks? Yeah. I, 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 who was that country? I keep forgetting. Let me take a look here. Czech Republic. Yeah, Czech Republic. It's he. He redirected a Victor Soderstrom's shot, and. He actually was having a pretty good tournament. And I'm trying starting to get on the the train. Um the hype train. He was very good he was stable defensively and um he's taking some good shots and he's and he could score more. And his skating has looked pretty good too. So even though he's not really seeing much And you never know, maybe he could be a diamond in the rough for the Canucks. You never know. 
Anyway, let's move on from hockey and talk some uh, NFL. The Seattle Seahawks are the NFC West champions. They beat the LA Rams. Tw- was like twenty to nine to nine, and the defense. I mean, they were bad for like the first like six or eight games, but they have stepped up the last few games. Maybe having Jamal Adams and acquiring Brandon Dunlop really helped. Andre Diggs, uh, having him back also helped too. And they made life difficult for the Rams. Like, especially on the fourth down plays. Like, Jamal Adams, I remember, like, he saved a touchdown. Like, he just went, he just sprinted really fast and saved a, a Rams touchdown. And they they were, they were at the one-yard line, and they prevented a touchdown and created the turnover and downs. Now, the offense, like, it, it still has its consistency issues. It's not, like, high-flying as it was early in the season. Like, some of the decision-making is still questionable. But the run game has looked pretty good. Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, they're a good duo. Uh, Wilson still throwing it. He did throw an interception last against the Rams, I believe. And, but, it was only one, thankfully. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> like, um, some of the passes could be better. You target your main weapons even more. But, uh, the Seahawks, I believe they close, yeah, they do close up the season against the 49ers, who have been just riddled with the injury bug. Like, and like, some players have opted out of the season. Like, Richard Sherman, for example. Like, if there was, if this was a different year. Uh, 49ers, they probably would have won the NFC West or challenged for it. Like, Garoppolo's out. Kittle's out. Boza has been injured. Mostert has been injured. Like, some of these players, who are they? Uh, beats me. Like, Nick Mullins is now their starting quarterback. And I expect a Seahawks win on, against the 49ers at, at Levi Stadium. Like, injury-riddled team. Shame what happened to them. As much as I hate them, like, this team went to the Super Bowl last year, and pretty much on the verge of missing are pretty much going to miss the playoffs unless yeah their their playoff chances are like really low thanks to the injuries Uh, um, Seahawks hopefully the defense continues its thing and maybe the offense they should put this team never ever put two and two together. Like, defense is good. The offense isn't very good. The offense is good. Defense isn't very good. Like, put two and two together and hope maybe try to close out a game properly this time. And since this team is in the playoffs, they can still go for the number one seed, apparently. But a lot has got to go right. They have to beat... Um, San Francisco, and then Green Bay has to lose their final game, and then New Orleans also has to lose. So, 
unlikely, but the Seahawks will be playing a game at home in the playoffs. And although without the fans, because that would really help. But as far as I can, I know the Seahawks have not lost a home playoff game since like the early 2000s. Wait, let me playoff. Look it up. Last home playoff game loss. Alright, well, we go on Pro Football Reference. I believe it was in the early 2000s. Yeah, 2004. It was against the St. Louis Rams. A 20-27 loss in a wild card game. But since then, they have not lost the home playoff game. Like, during the Hasselback era and now the the Wilson era and their last home playoff game was in 20 like the 2017 2016 season it was played in 2017 but it's for the 2016 season that was a wild card game win over the Detroit Lions and then they lost then they lost to the Atlanta Falcons in the divisional round which yeah, Falcons don't want to be reminded of what happened later. So, honestly, I, I see the Seahawks winning this one. The 49ers is just a bunch of guys coming up, filling in, like the practice squad. Uh, how did they do last week? I believe they they lost to the Cowboys. They're on a losing streak. Lost to the Bills, they lost to Washington football team, and lost to the Cowboys. So, pretty much limping to the end of the season. Injury riddle team, I expect a Seahawks win. Okay, let's move on to football the other kind. And you've already heard my rant over the Arsenal loss. They barely, they drew Villa. Could have been better. Performance was a bit better, but again, not a, they can't play full 90 minutes, Chelsea. Like... Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, they're still struggling. Uh, like, the offense can't... Like, they show some creativity in this, but the goal scoring and the creativity, it needs to happen a lot more, especially against a team like Villa. Well, they're not a bad team. Like, Jack Grealish is a good player, and the defense is a lot better than it was in the championship. But... They're throwing away valuable points. Like they're rival like teams like Liverpool, Tottenham, for example, they're dropping points. And had Chelsea won like at least three out of the last like five games they lost, they could still be in the top four or even they could be fighting for the title. Like they're six in the entire Premier League. Well tied for fifth with Villa. Uh and Leicester and Everton and Manchester United make out the top four. And I still can't believe this team lost to Arsenal. Like, they lost to Wolves, lost to Everton, teams that they should beat. Timo Werner, even though he was back a striker. Like, like, like what happened? Like, he went to Chelsea and lost his superpowers. Same with Guy Havertz, too. He hasn't looked very good. Maybe having, I guess, 
he even had COVID and that kind of slowed him down. He was alright before he had that. Like, Werner and Havertz are two big signings and they're already looking like flops. Because Werner, especially, he's missing these these great A chances. Like, open net chance, he's guided. One-on-one, misses like horribly. In alone, the goaltender decides to pass. Like, his decision-making, it's not there. Like, where was that? Where is the Werner from the from Leipzig? Yeah, I know it was the Bundesliga. But still. This guy was it's like one of the best younger young strikers in the world. And he needs to be better. And Frank Lampard, his, his tactics, his, his substitutions, once again, questionable. And he needs to adapt to the, uh, change, maybe change things up. And, you know, I love the man. I want the su- Chelsea to succeed, to win every single possible major trophy with Frank Lampard. Like, I said it before, Lampard, Chelsea's greatest player ever. Now their coach. He, like, he knows this team. He is like he is Chelsea Football Club, and this team is just playing dull football. It's just pass, pass, cross, pray to go, pray someone gets on it. Like what? A, what happened to the, the team that is good on the counter, and that can finish their chances? Like Frank, come on. And, of course, Chelsea Twitter, I've said it's worse than hockey Twitter. There are people saying, oh, Lampard should be sacked. Lampard should be not be sacked. Me? I think we should trust the process. I and like, I get it. We have to separate Lampard from the, the player and Lampard the manager. Lampard the player is Chelsea's goat. Lampard the manager needs to be better. I mean, the signings are, he got the signings, the players he wanted, he needs to use them, right? Like, he's not pushing the right buttons. And, uh, yeah, I get it, things take time, it's still early, and Chelsea can still turn things around. Hopefully they can, but they they gotta do it sooner rather than later. And Man City's coming up next, and we're not sure even even if that game is gonna happen, because there's a COVID outbreak among the Man City camp so I people saying Frank Lampard out I get it I get both sides of the argument but this just, it wouldn't be right to fire him now and replace him with like Thomas Tuchel because with Tuchel he's gonna want to win now and with Lampard it's all about long term like look take a look at Liverpool for example, with Jurgen Klopp, it took quite some time. This team was pretty. The team he took over from, he was pretty average. But now, he took Liverpool to the Premier League title, the Champions League, and the Club World Cup. It takes time. It's a process. Frank Lampard. I am. Def- I will. Def- as much as I um, rag on him, his management. Um, I give. I'll defend him. When. When time, when the time is needed, like I don't want him sacked, I want to win with him. But he needs to turn things around. And to fire him is probably the worst possible decision 
Abramovich can make right now. Uh, wait till the end of the season before you end and judge him. Maybe if they finish like outside the top four, there's a good chance he'll be gone. But it should be the t- the goal should be the same: top four, maybe a trophy, like the FA Cup. Uh trust the process. I know it's it's frustrating now, but and I know he needs to uh, change his tactics and game management. He needs to work on that. He needs to push the right buttons. But trust the man. Trust Frank Lampard. He knows this club inside out. He knows what's best. Trust him. And I do. Like this. Not just because he's one of my childhood heroes, but uh, he has the team has potential. He has potential as a manager, and this team can be great. But this things need to turn around as soon as possible. Okay, we're gonna head into break, and we'll do the best towards um, the Twitter. But before that. I had a great chat with Patrick Johnston, Canucks writer for The Sun and The Province, so stick around for that. Alright guys, joining us this week for the featured guest on Avid Discussers is Patrick Johnston. He is the Canucks writer for the province and the Vancouver Sun. Patrick, how are you and how was your Christmas? Oh, pretty good, man. Thanks for having me. You know, survived two, two little kids and, uh, you know, the, the older one is uh, almost three, so she gets it and she had a really great time. And kept it quiet, kept it simple and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, it'll be all worth it uh, in a few months from now. And before you became a sports writer, it's yeah. my understanding you were a teacher first, and you even went to Langara and graduated yeah. from the certificate program. That's what right. made you want to switch from teaching to become a, a sports writer? Well, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it is it is true. I was a teacher. Um, I, I have a few uh, former students who found me out there. It's quite always funny. We always have a laugh. Um, I uh, when I finished at UBC. Uh, 2004, um, a history degree, which was great. I'm glad I did it. Taught me a lot about thinking and, and researching and sort of understanding story storylines and narratives and how that all works. And so that's obviously played really well in my, my current profession. Um, but wasn't really sure what I wanted to do directly. And I was fortunate that I, you know, pretty supportive family. I know a lot of people aren't necessarily in the same position that I was in. Um, but I tried out a few things. I sort of worked a little bit in, in actually worked for BC rugby for a little while. I worked, um, I worked as a cook. <laughs> I did some traveling, um, you know, and I'd always known I enjoyed working with kids and uh, I'd done a little bit of rugby coaching. I played rugby at UBC. I did a little bit of rugby coaching 
um, to that point at my old high school at Kitts High, high School in, in Vancouver. And, um, you know, I, it sort of just sort of seemed natural. I just kind of followed that path forward, see where it was going to go and ended up working at a, at a, essentially an ESL summer camp for a couple summers. And I took a side job, um, essentially working for what was a, essentially an ESL, uh, like book club, uh, or after school kind of stuff. It essentially felt like book club. Um, and so, yeah, it was that, and, you know, I got into teaching. I taught for, I went, did my teaching degree at UBC. Um, great. Had a good time there. Great practicum at school in Richmond. And after a couple of years, I kind of realized I was good at it. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I think I was pretty, pretty, pretty solid teacher. Uh, I, I understood the basics. I, I could put together, a, you know, a fun, engaging lesson um, with, you know, pretty, pretty consistent uh, effort. Um, but I, but I realized as much as I liked it, I didn't love it. I looked at my friends who were loving teaching and, and uh, were having these, you know, I can quite rewarding experiences. And I kind of sat back and I said, is there something else? And, you know, thinking about my own interests and what I was able to do. And I was in my late twenties by this point. And, uh, you know, I played a law school and, and wrote the LSAT a bunch of times and did, did all right. I was fine. Um, but didn't end up going to law school. And along the way, I'm watching CNN, of all things. This is almost 10 years ago now that, I, now that I think about it. This is the spring of 2011, right? So the Canucks are running off to the playoffs. I'm just enjoying the Canucks. You know, I'm teaching. I'm working a lot. Um, I happen to be sitting there watching CNN, and there's Anderson Cooper uh, sitting in an undisclosed location reporting on the Arab Spring in Egypt. It really caught me. And I remember thinking, man, this is a powerful, powerful thing. This is a uh, chance to share, you know, lend voice to the voiceless, if you will, which, you know, really is what journalism is supposed to be about. Um, standing up for, for the right thing, standing up for making the world a better place. And I thought, I think that's what I need to do. I think that's what I've actually been looking for. So it just so happened that by this point, you know, it's, I think, January. Um there's only really one journalism school in Canada that's uh, accepting applications still, and that's Langara. And so I threw my name in the hat and had to go write uh, the admissions exam um, where it was, you know, basically sort of test of current events. Can you do a bit of math? Like it was basically like, are you not an idiot? Um, and it just so happened that was during, I think it's game four or game five against the Blackhawks in the first round in 2011. So that's the one that Chicago wins five, nothing. And the guy that was uh, invigilating the exam turned out to be a fellow named Ed Hensel, who, who was a longtime copy editor at the province and was an instructor at Langara. I'm, I, I'm still in touch with, and was quite an important sort of guiding voice in, in my early days, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what I wanted to be as a journalist. And, uh, and yeah, he was, uh, he ran it and he would write the score on the board. He said before, you know, Hey guys, obviously there's a big game tonight. If you don't want to know the score, never look at the board. I'm going to write the score on the board. Cause I know some of you want to know. And uh, yeah, that was sort of the, that was the launch of it. And I remember I went back to Langara that fall still thinking maybe I was still waiting. Cause I had a couple applications to law school in, in the back, you know, sort of still there. I was on a couple waiting lists and, you know, sort of sitting there all summer. What is my future going to be? And ended up not quite making it. Uh, I never actually got an offer, I don't think. Um, 
and uh, I'm, or maybe I did. Anyway, it's lost to history. It doesn't really matter. I, day one, I sit down in Langara. I remember we were sitting there sort of talking about the power of journalism and you're like, oh, this, I think this is what I want to be. I, this is exactly it. And in day two, we, we get into sort of, sort of some nuts and bolts and some stories that I think, uh, you know, examples of stories that, that my, my instructors had been, had been working with. And that was it. I was just like, no, this is where I'm, this is where I'm meant to be. And so I worked, you know, I did that for a year. Langara was a great program. Um, and then I was able to keep teaching along the way. So I was able to sub, which was really helpful. And I think put me in a strong position where I could make enough money during the week to pay my bills. And then I basically spent all the rest of my time. Uh, by this point, I've been picked up at Canucks Army. Tom Drance had found me uh, on Twitter, um, thinking I you know, had an interesting takes and deserved to have a voice and just sort of encouraged me to write what I thought. Um, and so I started doing that. And it was picking up some freelancing work here and there. Ed, uh, as I mentioned, my instructor was working at the province, so he was able to help me get some freelancing work. I mean, it's a very, it's kind of crazy to think about now. It was the very tail end of, sort of how things once were, which was the tail end of how things really once were. And you'd write about barbecuing and and you know things like that um and so along the way i'm teaching and paying my bills and and i started feeling a bit frustrated by i think the spring of 2013 not sure what i'm going to do you know i want a job this is what i want to be um but you know i'm, I'm feeling a bit down I, I, I think i had a bit of a i was feeling depressed i wasn't feeling great and I can remember I woke up one day feeling a bit mopey and I just said to myself, there's only one person that can solve this problem and just kind of got on back on the horse and, you know, sort of started set some deadlines for myself. I said, I needed to start finding some actual jobs. Um, so I applied for jobs all over the place. Wasn't having a whole lot of success, which was difficult. Um, there's no, there's no denying that. And uh, so I started thinking, well, maybe, you know, I need to start thinking practically about my life. By this point, I'm, you know, 32. And <laughs> what are you doing? And uh, there was an opening that came open at the province. And I, I had been doing some, like I said, work for them and been doing some blogging and um, for them. I blogged about rugby for them and uh, talked to, there was an opening that came up it was a mat leave. Basically they called it the mobile editor and you were to basically run in those days, we still had a very specific iPad app. Um, and so the idea was that you were the person who basically managed that. That was your job. And uh, yeah, I, I talked to Paul Chapman and Eric Rolson, who both were you know, already, I think, you know, had good feelings about me by that point. And both of them said, yeah, apply, apply, apply. Both of them gave me a couple of things to sort of make sure I made mention in my, in my cover letter, wrote the best cover letter, I think, of my life to that point. Actually, I actually haven't written one since, so best cover letter of my of my life to that point and uh um ended up a couple of pretty intense interviews and uh uh got a call i think it was like june 30th it was a long weekend i started july 2nd it's the day after canada day which i guess was on a monday i was going away on a short little camping trip with my roommate and i got a call as i was packing the car up uh, from, from Eric, who had become my boss, basically offered me the job and I had to make some calls because I already arranged to go teach ESL for the summer. Uh, I had to call them basically say, I have this other job and they were 
actually quite happy for me and turned out they had a teacher who was actually looking for more work so they were able to give uh give that person my classes and and uh so i went off on my little camping trip and came back and monday morning or tuesday morning i guess it was found myself at the province and and uh, the rest the rest really is history I, I kept on the sub list in vancouver till i think 2015 and then they basically kicked me off the list because i was screwing up they're basically staffing math and I was barely working. Like I'd work sort of occasional Fridays because I didn't work at the province on Fridays. And I was sad to, you know, it was kind of sad. It was a bit of closing. I still actually pay my teacher, my teacher license fee to keep it up every year in case I ever need that again. But uh, there you go. That's my story. That's how I became a journalist. Wow. Very interesting. And do you have <laughs> any particular memories from Langara? <laughs> um, daily death. I mean, Friday, you're trying to figure out your story every Friday. Um, yeah, I mean, the, how to do that. Then, you know, of course the, the sort of the fun routine of the, the, the week where, you know, it is a daily paper that we were producing. That was really fun. Just kind of getting a sense of the energy of that and figuring out what the story is and making some calls and figuring out how to tell some stories. That was one. Um, I got to cover, I mean, this is kind of deep in history, but I got to cover the um, a very, very controversial, excuse me, very controversial election at Kwantlen um, that involved, um, I, gotta, I probably should be careful here, but it, basically there were some council members that had been elected who turned out had a massive conflict of interest with a previous president who um, there were a bunch of allegations about in terms of uh, inappropriate spending and stuff like that and um anyway they had this special election if i remember correctly where um they were having to redo the whole slate and it was so, it was like it was an election where people were like lined up to vote for the student council um and someone pulled a fire alarm and there was all kinds of like efforts to disrupt the counting disrupt the voting it was kind of wild and um, yeah, so I got to write, I was actually at Kwantlen when it all happened. Um, so I learned a lot there. Uh, that, was, that was sort of an early interesting experience in, in, in sort of trying to understand what a story is as quickly as you can and understand who the players are and, and talking to people, not just about interviews, because I mean, in the end, like we obviously do interviews for our stories, right? Because they help us add a voice to what's happening and, and let them, you know, make the story authentic. Otherwise it's just you giving your rambling thoughts on the internet in internet. Um, but that was really one of those ones where you started to understand the importance of background conversations and talking to people who aren't, you aren't necessarily going to quote in the story, but they can help you understand who the characters are, who the players are, what the issues are. Um, and then sometimes those people do turn out to be, to be useful interviews, you know, as well. But it was really a really good experience in trying to understand how to develop and just the importance of being there because, you know, there, there's only so much you can do over the phone. And I think that has been one of the challenges in, in COVID, whether you're covering sports or covering new hard news uh, or anything really, is that, you know, we're, 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 we're limited into what we can actually gather when we talk to someone on the phone versus when we talk to them in person. Um, and that forever is the lesson. I think that it's the hardest thing, I think, for young journalists young journalism students, I should say, 
uh, to, to understand is that you really need to talk to the person. There are, there are sources that you can text with and you can email with DM with or whatever, and that helps. And there's no doubt about that, that things have evolved, but uh, there are times when you really just need to a get on the phone with the person and B go see them. And obviously the going to see them is a lot harder right now. Uh, but yeah, the, the, I guess those are the stories that stand out the most. Those were, those were, you know, the experience in the, in the actual, uh, in the actual moment, yeah. I still remember deadline day, uh, production day for the yeah. paper. It's still, still burned in my brain. Yeah, how frantic, hectic yeah. it was. Yeah, I think that's a great word, and I think you know, it, it, the fact you get to do so many roles, I think, was one of the great, yeah. um, great things about that program is that you know every week you're doing something different. You're trying to get an experience. You're trying to understand things, um, you know. And I, I would actually spend time. Uh, especially I think because you know in the certificate program it's just one year right so the first half of the year you're reporters and you're just given stories and then the second half of the year you know the instructors have, have laid out the roles for everybody and I think they try to kind of make look at, like it's a bit of luck of the draw but if you actually pay attention there's a bit of a thread and so I would obviously try to understand that as well like what 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 are we thinking about here not that I was trying to like I don't know how to put it because it is a weird experience because you, it is a bit like minor league baseball where everyone's competing for the same role um, realistically, but these are also, you know, people you have to work with and, and you want to be on friendly terms with and get along with. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like I was looking for dirt on anybody else, but I was just trying to understand sort of what's the kind of mentality in setting your lineup and trying to understand what role and who's good at what roles and trying to understand how to, how to sort of um, how you how you actually figure out what people's strengths and, and weaknesses are in in in, a, in journalism, and uh, so that was that was kind of an, that was interesting too and insightful I think too. What is the story behind your profile picture on Twitter, like <laughs> the banana as a phone? Uh, yeah, that's um, so. Yeah, twenty thirteen uh october i think it's october 9th the october 9th front page of the province has four pictures of me or had four pictures of me um i was just wrapping up the end of the day i guess sort of would have been the day before and uh and uh and wayne editor uh, wayne moretti who was our editor-in-chief at the time uh kind of wanders over to my desk and goes patrick uh, are you are you done soon and i'm like yeah you know i'm supposed to be out here in about you know 20 minutes or something he goes can i convince you to wait a little bit longer and i'm like uh, what's up? And they basically, well, we have, a, we have a front page idea and I think your, I think your face would be perfect. And so we had, we picked up the story from, uh, from Saanich, I think from the Island about uh, a guy who was trying to argue that his ticket for distracted driving was uh, in error, that he wasn't holding a phone up to his face. He was holding his wallet. And basically the judge had told him, give me a break, pay your fine. Um, I'm sure he wanted to use more colorful language. The, you know, the guy had basically been pulled over by a cop, uh, obviously on his phone, claimed it wasn't his phone, drove around, came back through where the cop was. Cop pulled him over again. He basically went, ha ha, fooled you. I'm holding my, holding my wallet. And the cop's like, what are you, an idiot? And, and so the guy tried to fight it in court, but the judge said, pay your fine. And uh, so we kind of made a, we were poking fun a little bit at it. So there, there was a, you know, obviously me holding banana, 
Uh, there was a, me a photo holding, I think, a wallet, a shoe, a water bottle. Um, I know we shot a couple other photos. I don't think we used all of them, but yeah. So that was kind of it. And I, it was just a funny photo, and uh, I've, I've I, I put it up almost right away as my profile photo, and uh, I've just kept it ever since. Even in, even since I've sort of moved through roles at the at, at the paper, because um, initially I was a web editor, and you know you're not necessarily reporting stuff, and I just thought it was kind of goofy. And most for the most part, you know. I thought I was trying to lend a little little air of lightness to what I do. Obviously, I know sometimes I have written some pretty heavy stories, and and that's still going to be the case. But uh, people seem to like it, and I think it makes for a decent punchline a lot of the time. So uh, that's that's why I've kept it. Yeah, that's gr- that's great. And let's yeah. move on to some Canucks talk. And sure. <laughs> you wrote on an article about the second line, and who do you think is best to fill in Tyler Toffoli's Ooh. spot? Is it Jake Rutanen? <laughs> Do they go with Besser or do you even put Louis Erickson on the second line? I think that's a good question. It's, uh, it's, a, it's not exactly an ideal setup. Um, I, I, my instinct is, is that it's, they're going to end up with Erickson at some point. Um, I certainly think they're going to try to make the Besser fit work again. Um, because, you know, Vertanen, you know, like Vertanen's not a, perfect player i don't think anybody i hope nobody argues that i you know he's got he has some issues with sort of consistency uh, especially away from the puck um there's moments where you know he should be more physical and he's not and defensively he can be out at sea um and and certainly we, we can hear that we've heard over the years sort of players who've tried to take him or have taken him under their wing i mean jt miller we know this last year said, Jake, we need to do this, this, and this. I mean, it is an ongoing thing. We know that, um, you know, of course there's been problems with his, with his, you know, being in shape. He didn't show up. He missed his mark, his targets last year uh, coming into training camp. And uh, you know, so there, there is sort of a, you know, he, he's putting himself behind the eight ball physically. And so to play top line minutes, you really need to be able to, to carry through with that, carry that on. And, and if you're not, uh, you know, you're not in as good a shape as you can be, that's going to be a problem. But I, I do think, I do think because we saw there was a decent amount of results with him uh, playing there last season that they're going to, they are going to want to look at that again, because in the long run, Louis Erickson simply isn't an ideal fit for Pearson and Horvat. Um, that said, he still was the best sort of two-way winger in terms of numbers they they had last year. He is still something of a puck creator. He's not a, obviously a goal scorer anymore, but he's still got a creative element that Besser doesn't have because Besser is, is a shooter. And so is Horvat and so is Pearson. So that's kind of the problem. I mean, we know, we know sort of historically that, you know, that you can't play three shooters together because there's just not enough puck to shoot um you need a creator you know the ideal line really does have at least a creator on it and and generally you'd like a mucker and i think pierce between pearson and horvat you've got a couple of guys that are willing to muck um so it is it's it's not ideal um for Tannen can't play with those two because he just doesn't have the defensive acumen bo horvat plays some of the heaviest toughest minutes in the nhl 
um, and you need that line to be really, really solid. And that's why Erickson, I think, worked really well last year. Um, I'm not really giving you necessarily a straightforward answer, but I think we'll see Besser there to start with anyway. Just because Besser is a he, – he's better two-way player than people give him credit for, um, or his reputation is anyway. And I, I think it's just going to be interesting. I mean, it's obviously – you know, it's going to be – you know, it's, it's a big it's a big year for everybody involved. Um, and, you know, Travis Green needs to get wins, and that's the most important thing in his life. So at some point, you know, it's going to have to be which of these sort of – I mean, Besser's the easiest fit with Pedersen and Miller. There's no doubt about it uh, of those guys. Of, of you know, And I think, like I said, he, he is a better two-way player. But that said, Pedersen and Miller are so good – that you can perhaps play a flawed winger with them like Vertan and get away with it and then hope that, that Besser can find some kind of chemistry with Pearson and Horvath. It's going to be interesting. It's, it's a real challenge. It's not really a position I think the Canucks, you know, should, should be in. Tyler Toffoli should be here and that solves a lot of your questions right there. And, uh, but he's not. And so they're kind of, as I said in my story, they're back to square one. And who do you think is going to be on the so-called taxi squad for the Canucks. <laughs> I, uh, I wrote, the, I wrote the, something a couple of weeks ago. It's an interesting question. I sort of said there's a really strong argument for it to be mostly kids. Um, you know, you sort of have to look, what do you, you know, first of all, who's going to be the three, the three scratches? I mean, there is conceivably an argument to be made that if you're really sharp and you really want to cut down on your costs, you basically put everybody in your taxi squad. You don't have your nightly two or three scratches as Canucks traditionally have done. And you just use the six guys. I mean, especially in Canada, you're going to use those six guys and you can get creative because if somebody gets hurt, you know, and it's going to be a few weeks, you can bring somebody up and have them quarantine for two weeks, but that's not exactly ideal. But um, you know, I think realistically, you know, if you're, if you're looking at it, you're probably putting guys on your taxi squad who don't need waivers. So that's guys, that is a guy like, um, Jack Rathbone, Brogan Rafferty, um, you know, although Rathbone, you know, he hasn't played since March. I mean, none of these guys played March, but Rathbone's never played a professional game. So, you know, it also kind of all depends on what happens with Utica. Like if Utica is going to play, like we don't know what's happening with the AHL. It's really up in the air. There's certainly, obviously, I think a group of owners that want to play, but there's also obviously owners that are really nervous. Like Patrick Williams, um, who covers the AHL, wrote a really great kind of, here's the nuts and bolts of it story at a, for uh, elite prospects that I really recommend go find um, where he kind of lays it out. And he's just like, you know, they're probably going to play as few games as possible. Um, they're really up against the wall, but they want to play some games. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I mean, it's just going to be a real mess, but I think, you know, if you go with, you know, so Jace Howerluck is on the team. I'm not sure he actually starts the season in the lineup, but that depends on how you feel about Louis Erickson. Um, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be in the 23, you know, are you, I, I assume they're going to wave Sven Berchi and send him to somewhere. Um, you know, so he's not going to be in, in, I don't think he'll be on the taxi squad or on the, or in the 23. Um, you're then probably looking at, you know, what do you do with Justin Bailey? You know, Jalen Chatfield, I am sort of assuming is going to be um, on the on the NHL roster, but he is a guy that, for instance, he's probably he's going to clear waivers. So why don't you put him in the minors and you can pay him the NHL salary? I mean, this is the other thing is that they're thinking a lot about money. So you can keep him in your taxi squad, pay him an NHL salary, which means then are you sending Brogan Rafferty out? Are you sending Jack Rathbone out? Um, where are you at at that point? Um, 
you know, it, it's, it's not a straightforward one. You know, you need an extra center. Are you going to make that, are you going to make that, um, are you going to make that, I mean, is that, is it going to be Tyler Graubach or is it going to be Mark Michaelis? And I think there's an argument that it'll be Mark Michaelis because they want to see what he is. Um, I think the other thing too, to consider in all that is of course, you know, you, you still have, you actually theoretically are probably dressing five centers right now because you're going to have Pedersen, Horvat, Godet. Uh, Beagle and Sutter probably also in the lineup. So Sutter's playing on the wing, I think, and can swap in and out depending on what happens with Godet and Beagle. It's less than ideal, but there you are. Um, so one of those, you know, so that means that you're probably scratching Zach McEwen unless you want Zach McEwen in the lineup, right? Um, you know, and he's not going to, he's definitely, Zach McEwen is definitely not going on waivers because he is the kind of guy that another team would scoop up. So, um, you know, you're leaving him at least uh, in the press box. And then, um, you know, you're looking at sort of how does the rest, the rest, uh, rest shake out, right? And, uh, you know, you're looking at, you're going to have Mike DiPietro in here somewhere, um, presumably, because at the, at the moment, they don't have anybody else to be the third goalie. Uh, you know, it's not going to be great for DiPietro not to play a lot, but it is an opportunity, and it is an opportunity for him to work a full season with Ian Clark. Um, and I was talking, you know, I think, there is a, I think there is an idea that perhaps, you know, you look at, for instance, Ottawa. I think Ottawa's in a real dilemma with how to handle their goalies. And, um, you know, they've got, they've got a, a, a young prospect who they've kept in Sweden. And I imagine they'll keep in Sweden. Like, why bring him over just to quarantine him and then play him, you know, in AHL games that may or may not happen. I think the Canadian AHL squads are going to get games somehow. Um, but, you know, you leave him. They've already gotten rid of Anders Nielsen. So, you know, they've got Hogberg and, um, and, uh, and uh, Matt Murray as their NHL goalie. So, I mean, I think there's a gap there. Maybe DiPietro gets loaned out and can play some games that way. Um, but you're supposed to have three goalies between your taxi squad and your, uh, your NHL roster available to play. So, you know, what does that mean? You're actually going to keep a guy like Archer Silovs around just in case? just as a cover while you're sort of floating Di Pietro back and forth. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it is going to be interesting. It seems obvious, but then you start getting into the nuts and bolts of it and you realize there's a lot of questions, a lot of issues. Um, so we'll see, but I, I think it's going to skew young. I mean, in general, the Canucks have been avoiding, um, you know, they've, they've sort of done the minimum, right? They've, they signed Bailey, they signed Chatfield, uh, they signed Graback, and there's, you know, there's not a whole lot else around out there. Um, they're, they're, they are going as kind of lean as they can. Is there a possibility of the Canucks signing another free agent or have they talked to a player um, that has signed elsewhere? <sighs> I'm skeptical. I mean, I know I've seen a few teams now, of course, are picking up PTOs. I think this is pretty much what we're going to see. I think, I think there's, you know, there's, it, it doesn't, it, it's not hard to tell what the sort of overall philosophy on spending is right now with this team. I mean, they've gone, they've gone, like I said, so sort of, they've sort of done the minimum in terms of building their depth out. They've, um, they didn't, they weren't big hunters at um, free agency, not that they had the flexibility necessarily, but, you know, they really held the line on Markstrom, held the line on Tanev, let Toffoli walk, uh, let Troy Stetcher walk. 
um, you know, and, and they really haven't brought, I mean, other than adding Howerluck and who was on a very cheap contract, letting Levo walk and, and then trading for Nate Schmidt, the, you know, the overall picture has been one of they're not spending as much. And they're, you know, you look at the pure dollars, um, that's the other factor, right? Like they're looking at a very low end ex- expenditure. I mean, they're, they're close to the cap in terms of cap hit, but you know, they're, they're, they're actually not spending a lot of money. I mean, Louis Erickson being a great example, I think he's what making $2 million this year or $3 million between signing bonus and salary, which is half of his cap hit. Um, so no, I don't expect that they're going to sign anybody else between now and, and uh, the beginning of the season. You know, I think there is an outside chance. Perhaps they decide to bring in some kind of goalie, but I, there's not a lot out there right now. There, there is, I think, a case to be made that if you're gonna if you're gonna add um, if you're gonna add anybody, it's that they'll pick up, say, someone like um, Aaron Dell, who's a you know goalie that the the, the Leafs are gonna have to waive um, to to keep in their system and. Uh, and that might be a guy for the Canucks to bring in while they, while they find games for Di Pietro if you don't want him just to sit on the bench. But uh, it's a tricky one. There's, it, it, it's not likely to me, like I said, I don't think it's likely they're going to bring anybody else in except for maybe something like that. I mean, I'm sure there was a desire to bring in defensemen. And there certainly have been defensemen out there that they could have brought in. And, and they haven't. You know, so um, I don't know if they've talked to anybody else. I don't have a sense they have really done that very much. But uh, they certainly, I don't think, you know, they, they haven't been aggressive and I don't expect that to change. And Travis Green is also going to need a new contract by the end of the season. And yeah. not much, from what I understand, not much is going on with Travis Green's contract. And do you have any idea why? Um, talks have stalled and is there any latest updates that you've heard no i you know there's nothing there's nothing i mean as i as i sort of said i talked to jim benning a bit about it yeah it's still talking but i mean what does that mean um i don't i don't think there's much happening there i don't quite understand because it is a long-term commitment it's not a current commitment um you know, I, Travis Green is a coach who deserves a race. There's no doubt about it. He's gotten a lot from what's been handed to him. He's been a good soldier. His players like him. Uh, I think in general, his approach to how he wants his team to play, you know, I think is a smart one. I think he know. I, I think he's done the best. He, like I said, the best he can with the horses he has. Um, he's, you know, been an advocate for, a positive style of play that I think fans here want to see. And, uh, you know, he, he is, he is a, a pretty forward thinking coach. I don't think any, anything, nothing he does is by accident. And, uh, and, you know, he's not some sort of insane sort of dictatorial type coach that, that, you know, certainly used to be, you know, so much more common and, and, you know, who wasn't perhaps as effective. He's not that guy. He's far from it. He's player centered. Um, he thinks about what the game should be. Like I said, he thinks about what his team is capable of, what his team needs to be. And, you know, so there's, there's no reason for him not to have a new contract. Uh, so I think, you know, I, I think what you're looking at is a difference in, in coach value. And he is going to say, this is what I think I'm worth. And the owner is going to say, this is what I think, well, this is what I, 
you know, thinking about right now and they can't yet seem to meet in the middle. Um, obviously the broader picture is out there. You know, we're now at a point where the season is going to start. And if he starts the season without a contract, without a new contract, he'll be a free agent in the summer and, you know, shoot, there's no coach right now in Seattle. He's, he's not, you know, obviously allowed to talk to Seattle at this point, but you got to think that, that, you know, he, you know, he can't help but look and think that's a really interesting job. And you've got to think Seattle will be like, that's a really interesting candidate. I mean, there's obviously a lot of candidates out there. Um, it's not often that you're able to pick up a guy who's already with a team or, or, or should I say, has been finding success with a team who hasn't just been let go. Usually you're pulling from a pool of candidates who've been fired. So, you know, if, if Green somehow gets to this summer and is looking for a new deal, um, I think he's actually in a really strong position and I think he would know that. So, you know, we'll see. It's going to be a storyline to follow. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, he's going to coach to win. Like I said, that that's always been his number one MO. He wants to put a team on the ice that's going to win. And he's making decisions based on what he believes helps his team win. And, you know, the more he, you know, the more he does that, the better hope he has <laughs> landing himself um, a contract that I, I think that he thinks he's worth. And if you can, can you explain what went down with Tyler DeFoley and Troy Stetcher walking in free agency? Like, did they try to circle back on either one of them? Uh, my understanding is, yeah, that, you know, there was, um, you know, there was interest on Stetcher. Um, you know, I, I think it in the end it became, uh, I, well, it's clear. It became dollars, I mean, it became dollars and cents across the board. It's not, you know, that, that you know, I think they rightly held the line on Markstrom. I, I you know, I was a big believer in Markstrom. I, I've long been a fan of his. Um, that said, he was, you know, entering the wrong period of life and Calgary was able to make him an offer that the Canucks shouldn't have been considering. I mean, they basically couldn't have done it anyway, given the flat cap, given what they were already dealing with um, in terms of salary commitments, what they really needed on the, the blue line it was the same story with Taneb. You know, I think they were smart with that. I think they realized in the long run, this was not a guy to stick with um, as good of a soldier as he'd been. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, in the end, he's a guy that probably should have traded a couple of years ago and they didn't. And now they've let him go for free. Um, they got some good value out of him. There's no doubt about it. Like they, they wrote him hard to the end and he was, you know, I think a pretty good mentor for Quinn Hughes. Um, but by the end of the season, I think the evidence has become more clear that, you know, Quinn Hughes needed a quicker defenseman to play with. And I think Nate Schmidt or Tyler Myers, depending on whoever it is, is going to be a better fit uh, going forward. Um, but, you know, there was a, an obvious, there's an obvious need on this roster. And there's an obvious uh, space for a guy like Stetcher, and they haven't replaced him. Uh, so there you go. I think you read that on its own, that that was a financial choice. Um, and Toffoli is a weird one. I think, I think they just had sort of set their list of priorities. And for whatever reason, he wasn't high on the list of priorities. But then you see the number he signed for. You're like, that's exactly what they needed, exactly the kind of player they was. And I think there was something of it. I do think some of it in the end was a bit of the choice that they made by, by deciding to retain Jake Vertanen. Um, and, you know, it, was, it wasn't necessarily, it didn't have to be one or the other, but in the end to make things easier and to put their lineup together which I said, you know, been sort of 
what's the minimum you need to do? You know, I think Rattanen they decided was was the guy to go with. I I, I think I Tyler Toffoli's a better hockey player. I think he would have been a better choice. Um, but I think it's a similar kind of thing. It came down to the fact that they just in the end looked at the numbers that they have to assign to the current players. And then, you know, I mean, part of the all part of all this in the end is also keeping themselves clear of um, of space for next season when they have to resign Patterson and Hughes. And you know, they they put themselves in a position now where um they may, you know, they, they're going to have to deal with probably performance bonuses, uh, overages with, um, or trying to avoid overages on performance bonuses with Hughes and Patterson. I haven't actually done the math again, but of course they are dealing with that from last year. Um, so, you know, it's a tricky, it is a tricky, I, 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 you know, the capologists are dealing, you know, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Wall and, and Chris Gear, who do a lot of that work, obviously having to juggle a lot of balls to keep things all sort of lined up that, that some of the constraints on all this decision-making, but at the end of the day, you know, there was room to keep one or both of those guys. And in the end, they chose not to. Interesting. Um, the athletic and money puck have the Canucks finishing sixth in the Canadian division. Is that like huh. a reasonable position or is it too low? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I've said it before. I think I think the Leafs probably are the best team in the division. They aren't perfect. They're, they made a big gamble on defense. They made you know the TJ Brody's going to be the guy that's going to be better than a better fit than uh, than uh, uh, Tyson Berry was. Um, I'm I'm a big TJ Brody fan. I think he's I, I've always been an admirer of his game. He's a very quiet, calm, steady kind of guy. So I th- I think he. Um, I, I think he, uh, you know, he could make a difference. Um, obviously, adding Joe Thornton adds an interesting leadership element, and you know, another nice depth forward that every team should be looking to add uh, on on a cheap contract. Um, I think the Habs, the Habs, certainly in the moves they've made, even in the last what week. Um, I've really built themselves an interesting squad. Mark Bergevin does enjoy uh, making trades. There's no doubt about it. I think he's averaged nine per year that he's been in charge. And uh, they don't always work, but he is that sort of fantasy general manager we all love. He just loves to throw stuff against the wall and see what happens. So so he's, um, you know, he, he is an interesting choice. Uh, or sorry, they're an interesting choice. And I think, I think, they're, I think they really are going to be in the fight for one of those top two spots in the division. Just in terms of depth, they've added, they've got just nice depth. I mean, I, I am a Josh Anderson fan. Uh, I like what he, he gives them uh, up front. And, you know, they've reshipped their defense a little bit. I mean, I think their defense is still maybe a bit too slow, a bit too sort of defensive minded, but they've got a, you know, whole, a goalie tandem that, I think Jake Allen really is going to take a load off Carey Price and and you'd think help Price maybe refine himself a little bit and not have to play as much. Obviously because of the, the you know how many games there's going to be, you know, you need both your goalies to be on form, which is the story here as well, right? I mean Braden Holtby's had a couple had some struggles, but he also lost his goalie coach. And I think the argument here is that Ian Clark's going to do some wonders with him really quick and and you know, he's going to see a lot of pucks, there's no doubt about it. And big pressure on Thatcher Demko. I think that's part of the Canucks story here is that, you know, they, their defensive picture is different from what it was. I think they're going to, I do think Nate Schmidt really does help them a lot. Um, 
and you know their problem two seasons ago is they couldn't get the puck out they're a lot better at getting the puck out this year and Tyler Myers is part of that story he's not great in his own end but when he has the puck he can get it out and that's and he can get it out with control which is a huge factor uh and Nate Schmidt's going to add to that as well um but they're going to have to ride their top two pairings a lot because I don't think we're going to see a lot of that third pairing no matter who's on it whether it's all you Levy Jordy Ben, Jalen Chatfield, Brogan Rafferty, Jack Rathbone, you know, Ashton Sautner, Guillaume Brisebois, uh, any of those, whoever's in that mix, you know, that's going to be an interesting thing as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Canucks are kind of in that third, fourth, fifth club where it's the Oilers, the Flames. Like, do you think they're better than the Oilers? Do you think they're better than the Flames? Do you think they're better than the Jets, right? Um, I think they're probably better than the Jets. They're kind of equally, I would say, equal because I'm not a huge fan of the Oilers' defense um, and their goalies aren't very good. They obviously have two of the best forwards in the game and they've got some depth. Like, they've made some interesting depth moves for their forward group. Calgary, you know, I think we saw a lot of problems with their with their forwards or leadership. You know, I, I, I've mentioned this on Twitter before. At some point in the past, they did try to consider moving Monaghan um you know johnny johnny hockey wasn't great last year uh you know was that because he was hurt was that because he just was worn out whatever we don't know we'll see what he's like this year um their defense is pretty good uh you know adding tanev as a depth piece is a nice nice addition um adding markstrom's a nice addition can markstrom keep up his form you know without without ian clark in his in his ear uh, that's a great question. So, you know, like I said, it, it makes sense that you can put them sixth, you can put them fifth, you can put them fourth, right? You can put them third. I think those four teams are all kind of pretty close to each other. I understand in the end why the numbers that both those uh, sites did, you know, put them where they are. I get it. Um, you know, the Canucks are not as good as they were at the end of the season last year. There's just no denying that. And uh, last season they were, you know, before, Going, let, let us not forget that before COVID struck, this was a team that was in a battle to make the playoffs. Like they weren't a lock to make the playoffs. You know, that they were going to need, and they were missing their, you know, they were missing their guy. They were missing the guy, Jacob Markstrom, who is gone. Um, and that team, we didn't, we were, that term people felt very, very nervous about. Uh, that, that team that last skated on March 10th, right? And that was the only game they had Besser and Tipoli together in the same lineup. And so we, you know, we, we never saw what that team looked like. We know that they were pretty good with Toffoli in the lineup. They were pretty good with Besser in the lineup, but they weren't amazing. And they needed a lot of big nights from their goalies. So they're kind of the same, but not as good. So that's why it makes sense to me. Okay, let's get into some listener questions. <laughs> and listener Andy, he has a bunch. Who is or was your favorite Canucks player to deal with? Um... It's a, there's a few different options. I mean, Chris Tanev was great. You know, I think a guy that was, I think, underrated uh, for his insights. He, uh, you had to know, you had to know kind of what you were looking for from him. But if you were, if you were, you know, there are smart, every player has a sort of a certain way to ask them a question, but he definitely was a guy that, um, yeah, he was good. I, I mean, I, I really enjoy actually talking to Zach McEwen because he's just kind of, he's just a friendly face. And we kind of had a running joke last year because he kept, you know, he was constantly flying back and forth and he'd always say hello and he was happy to talk. 
he was great. Uh, Troy Stetcher, I mean, I think everyone sort of said that. Troy, Troy Stetcher is the great truth teller. Great, a lot of really interesting insights. I talked to him a lot. Um, you know, obviously hard to see him go. Yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty good room, to be honest. There's a lot of kind of insightful guys in there, guys that, that want to talk to you. I mean, Brandon Sutter, honestly, is a nice guy to talk to. Um, and then certainly has, you know, you know, he, he, he is aware of how much, uh, life is on his body now. So he's certainly, you know, he's good to talk about that. He just, yeah, it's generally a pretty good room of guys to talk to. Um, but yeah, those are sort of three off the top of my head. And what is the backstory to your Twitter handle? Oh, long ago I started, I said, well, I should, you know, back when people are, Hey, I'm starting a blog. I said, let's start a blog. And I was trying to think about what's a good name for a blog and rising action being, you know, in the plot, right? Like the rising action of the plot, what's the story, what's the narrative, what's the storyline. I mean, even before I realized I wanted to become a journalist, that was a sort of thing I like to think about in terms of how a story gets told and how we understand stories and, and things like that. So yeah, that's, it's pretty simple. It's not anything else. People like to say must be something else, wink, wink, but it's not, it's not that at all. And who picks out your outfits for games? Me. <laughs> of course. Me. Yeah. I, that's, you know, every once in a while I'll ask my wife, which tie, which tie, but generally it's me. I've got a little rotation of stuff. It's not, I don't have a, I don't have a deep bench in terms of clothes, but uh, yeah, I got a few shirts, got a few ties, got a couple suits, hopefully getting a new one. We'll see before the season, hopefully get to use it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all me. So I'm happy to hear any feedback. <laughs> He also asks, what is one sporting event or game that's on your bucket list? Ooh. Um, you know, I've never been able to go to an NCAA, like, basketball, like a, like a March Madness game. I'd love to experience that, just to kind of the crowd. Got a taste of it last year at, uh, at, uh, at the Beanpot in Boston, for, for the, which is the men's hockey tournament involving the four Boston area uh, university hockey teams. So I got, you know, I was there for... Um, I can't even remember now. It was Harvard, BU, and BC Northeastern. I, anyway, I got to watch both those games. So I saw Rathbone play. I saw Tyler Madden and McDonough play last year. That was pretty cool. Uh, but that's not quite the same thing. NC, yeah, it's, yeah. So I'd say an NC, NCAA March Madness game of any kind. And his final question is, how many lunches does J.D. Burke owe you? <laughs> it doesn't owe me any actually, oh, but really? the running joke is, yeah, actually funny enough when we were in Boston for the bean pot, uh, JD was there, happened to be there cause he was covering obviously collegiate hockey. And, uh, so he, he got, and it just timed out that it was me and, and J Pat and Drance and Ian McIntyre. I think that was the four of us that were there at that, on that trip. Uh, it just timed out that, that we were all there. And so we ended up having a lunch out together that Drance took us out. It was an incredible lunch. It was incredibly pricey. Poor JD. Um, I think he owed me a lunch. I can't remember what it was. Poor guy. But anyway, he, it, that, that's what the running joke is because it was a great lunch. But uh, I think it was a bit, it was a bit of, a, it was definitely a budget buster for him. And uh, so that's what kind of the running joke is about. Sean Warren at Sean Ye West 234. He has two yeah. questions. Sure. Uh, an update on how the Banff boys are doing. <laughs> and a uh, more serious question, what is something you're looking forward to covering the North or Canadian division? Well, I'll do the second one. The North division, it's just different rivalries, you know, just to see a lot of the same kind of stuff. I think it's going to feel a bit like playoff hockey. I'm curious to see how long that lasts because there's, you know, at a certain point, you're like, oh, these guys again, you know, uh, I'm nervous about that. 
Um, but I, I do think the sort of ability to build some storylines is going to be fun. And, and, and uh, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And, and then um, voice, that was, that was a fun way to start the year last year. You know, I think a lot about last year, obviously, because it was the, you know, before times and things were normal and we got to do everything normal. Uh, that was a fun experience. The fact that we kind of worked that out, we kind of looked at each other and said, oh, it's dumb. We don't all need, you know, in the end, we don't all need cars to get around. Um, and it worked out. And, and Jeff basically said, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to get the car. And, and, and we got to travel together and that was really fun. I think it was kind of a fun kind of early season, not, not necessarily bonding experience because I think we knew each other pretty well, but I think it was, you know, it was nice for Drance to get in because he obviously hadn't been covering the team for a couple of years, hadn't been working in Florida. And so he got to kind of get a, a, you know, he got to sort of hang out with us again, talk hockey, think hockey with us. And, and um, Harmon, it was, I think his first real road trip. And uh, so he got to kind of sort of get a sense of what we talked about, what we thought about. He really listened a lot. It was quite funny. He kept popping his music in. Um, and yeah, it was just fun. And then, yeah, it was just fun to go to Banff. And so, you know, I, hopefully we'll get to do that again soon. I mean, that is one of the neat things about this job is that you get to travel around and you get to spend some time with, with you know, and I, I, we're, we're fortunate that we mostly all get along. Um, and you get to, you know, kind of get to do that kind of experience. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, sometime soon we'll, uh, we'll get to do something like that again. Grady Sass asks, what's your favorite hot sauce? <laughs> for those who don't know, Grady is famous for having consumed hot sauce on a TSN broadcast. Um, my favorite hot sauce, I'm a big Cholula guy. I do enjoy their Chipotle hot sauce. I'm, I'm all about hot sauces having some flavor, not just about the heat. Uh, so yeah, there you go. And Prabjot at the pizza guy, he asks, any game day rituals? Uh, not really. Um, I try to get there, you know, for seven o'clock face off, I usually try to get there about kind of five thirty. Sometimes that means six. Um, the way certainly I had been doing it with games at Rogers was that, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm generally a transit guy. I like taking the train. Um, I don't like sitting in traffic in my car. Um, but the reality is, is that, I'm on the millennium line. So late night returns are annoying and I just want to get home. I would drive, uh, I do the sort of, it's about a 10 minute drive, 15 minute drive from my house to commercial, uh, commercial drive station. So I park on the, you know, find some parking on there and then I get on the train, take it down to Rogers. So, so that, I would say, you know, that's a routine. And I try to get there by about 5.30. Um, so I can just kind of see what's going on, maybe chat, if there's anybody there around to chat with, chat with them. Um, not too much, you know, like I like to wear, you know, I generally try to post to, like people know on my Instagram, at Patty J on the road. I, you know, I'll post my, uh, my whatever tie I'm wearing. I like to sort of, you know, it's kind of a routine I have running people seem to and uh and i do that i generally get the meal at the game don't uh don't over too much from that but, you know at some point i mean ian mcintyre is a big fan of going down and get, he's not always going to get the meal that they have available for us to buy at rogers so he'll often go down to the concourse and buy a hot dog or something but 
uh, I haven't worn myself out of the meals yet. So no, I don't have anything really beyond, beyond sort of, I think the obvious. Okay. My last question is a question I ask every guest. They get to pick a song for their sure. intro. Um, do you have anything in mind? Uh, well, I always, I mean, it's a bit of a running joke as well, but you know, I, I think, I think the opening riffs to, um, to uh, seek and destroy my Metallica is pretty great. Um, I'm also a big fan of hell's bells from ACDC as kind of an intro song, but right. uh, yeah, something like that. Good guitar riff. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks Patrick <laughs> for coming on the show. Uh, it was a fun chat and pretty interesting from a fellow Langer alumnus. Yeah. And um, uh, hopefully we can do this in the future. Thanks yeah, again for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Stick around for the best and worst of Twitter. He rocks in the treetop all the day long Hopping and a-bopping and a-singing his song All the little birds on Jaybird Street Love to hear the robin go tweet tweet Tweet, rock and robin Tweet, 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 rock and robin Okay, time for the best and worst of Twitter Where I take a look at the best and worst tweets of the week If you're a long-time listener, you can know how this works and a quick one today, because I have some stuff to share at the end. Uh, why it aren't the stanchion? Uh, this one's for best tweets. The weirdest stranded Canucks land is that Jake Vertanen is a peacock. He just got all that and fly. He still has another gear. Combined with, man, I think Pod Colson is a bust based on some sheets, just from Cam, and a few World Junior Games people. Yep, that's a weird trend on Canucks Twitter. Another good one is from. Chelsea's official Twitter account, who tw- quote tweeted from the Sacramento Kings, who is your favorite king of all time, and they quote tweeted a picture of Didier Drogba lifting the Champions League trophy in 2012 because that, yep, my favorite Chelsea player of all time, he is the king, big dub there, and yeah, there are some uh, uh, salty replies saying that we're a small team with no history and that we were lucky, yada yada yada. I don't give a c- Give a damn. Another good one from Clay Emu. I cannot Clay tweets. I asked this. I asked my son Sean or Canuck underscore Sean on Twitter. How good looking do you think I'm out of ten? He said with the mask on the ten. I'll take that. I replied. Then Clay Sean responds with, and not the mask. Four. Wow. Wow. Sean's really ruthless on Clay. Um. Hoop, this one's from Hoop Central of Yo- Jokic just randomly moaning at the end of his interview. Like, like what the hell was that? That's one of the worst. Uh, Casual Thursday. Uh, this one's, I guess, for worst too. Tweets. Ten years from now, you'll put on a jacket, find a mask in the pocket, oh, and say, oh man, what a weird year that was. You'll chuckle to yourself. Then you put up your machete and continue across the wasteland, keeping to the shadows to avoid the roving gang of cannibal raiders. For for the love of God, I hope it really doesn't end up like that. I hope I hope to be working at a sports radio station, and or a paper or some kind of blog full time or doing this podcast full time. Hopefully, it doesn't come down to that. Here's one that's really good: Mark Campbell, who you all know as Luke Skywalker. Tweets, I can finally cross this left off my to-do list. Hashtag better late than ever. And it's a picture of him holding some power converters outside a gas station called Toshi. 
So Luke really went to the finally. He finally went to the Katashi station and pick up picked up some power converters. Took him 43 years, but he finally did it. Also a good one from God, I can't pronounce his name, but the ad is young koala tweets my favorite Christmas story of all time, and it shows an article from the Independent saying the Christmas servant, Christmas church service accidentally printed words off Tupac's Hail Mary instead of the prayer or the carol, the choral. Oh God. <laughs> uh, the Brawless Wonder at probably Alyssa tweets. Bill Nye is short for William New Year's Eve. I pro it took me a while to get that. It took me a while. Like, you know, Bill's short for William, and Y.E. is short for New Year's Eve. Huh. This one's also pretty funny, from John Drake at Drake Gatsby. He tweets, Dear Santa, you didn't get me the thesaurus I asked for, now I'm mad. You made me really mad. I'm mad at you. Uh, we're gonna... Uh, and it, we're gonna have, no, no, a few more. Ha here's another one from Dan at SFC Dan, with like three N's. It's a clip of Mark Goldbridge, if you don't know who that is. He's a Manchester United super fan of the United Stand channel, and Mark Goldbridge, that's football. He reacts, rants and reacts to Man United games and news, and he also plays FIFA. He streams that. And here's a clip from one of his FIFA streams. Hold up. died enjoying the video there's a comma i don't think he's saying his dog died enjoying the video i think he's saying his dog died but he's enjoying this video and not his dog his dog can't enjoy it because it's dead very sad news about your dog uh go get in get it sorry i don't want to be uh dismissive of your dog jake um commiserations about your dog uh that's for you bruno Baker says my dog has just died that was weird like just reading of the chats, someone said his dog died, then he scores. Then, But luckily, Goldbridge says that goal was for you. So, I don't know. That could be best or worst. Um, on, um, for this. And this one from Part Phil. Like, this guy tweets some of the weirdest, most cursed stuff. Um, there's a good, there's a video of indoor fireworks. This one's for worst. Yeah, like, who in their right mind would do indoor fireworks? It sounds like gunshots to you, I believe. And we'll end it with, um, uh, two more. Another one for worst. Colleen at Call3NG tweets, My grandma, my grandma asked me if I had a boyfriend. And I was like, no. And she was like, well, I went to a random funeral because I was bored. And that's how I met your grandfather. What the hell? And we'll end it up worse. I mean, the would one of the best. Medium natural for vaccination at Bussy Douche tweets, I can't believe this is real. I thought I dreamed this. And it's a article, a screenshot of an article saying, Costco co-founder once said, I will kill you to CEO who wanted to hike the price of the 150 $1.50 hot dog combo. Good thing. Because that is like the best deal. Like even before a Canucks game. Because there's a Costco uh, right by Rogers Arena. And I used to go there after work when I worked at PC Place. Uh, 
Like one a dollar fifty for a jumbo hot dog and a Pepsi. That is like a solid deal. And the hot dogs are actually good too. They're really good. So that'll end the best and worst of Twitter for this week. And I just wanna take a look back at the year twenty. Twenty twenty. And uh this has probably been the worst year for all of us. Like oh my god, like it started off we were almost on the brink of World War Three. Australian wildfires, Kobe Bryant died, um, they're in, um, but we heard about this coronavirus in China that eventually became a pandemic and turned all our world upside down, sports stopped, um, entertainment stopped, like, it, like, that day in March, the world just shut down, I remember, um, was in my English class, and then, I mean, I have, I was supposed to do an internship at, in Richmond for this hockey tournament, but that got cancelled, yeah, that got cancelled, and I had to, luckily I found another internship with Real Hockey Canada, I had to do that at home, and that's when I realized, when I had my English class that night, um, that's when I found out, like, right before class, Tom Hanks had the virus, uh, and that morning, who declared it a pandemic, and the NBA suspended its season because Rudy Gobert had the virus, and that all sports were put on ice. And the NHL suspended its season, MLB suspended its season, you name it, March Madness was cancelled, the Olympics were suspended until next 2021. That's when I realized, this was real. Like, this, this was like out of a movie or something. The world was shutting down. And I was about... To be part of, to witness the biggest historical event of my lifetime. I mean, um, the Arab Spring, I remember it. I was too young for 9-11. Uh, stock market crash in like 2008. I barely remember that. But, no, there were some other big events, but nothing. I don't think, I'm not sure any historical event, I'm only 20 years old, will um, top COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I don't know. Maybe aliens can invade when I'm like 60 or something. I don't know. But I'm not sure if anything will top this. Could be wrong though. So I had to do my internship from home. Uh, that was that was a good internship actually. And I learned a lot from Kevin, the field hockey guy. Learned a lot about field hockey too. I also graduated from journalism school. Though not in the circumstances I wanted. I didn't get to cross the stage. And all that. But I received my diploma. Two years of hard work paid off. Fortunately, couldn't get a job in the media. So, you know what I decided to do? Start this podcast. And it's not the biggest podcast right now. I mean, uh, when I put up the numbers, I only get like 20-ish listeners. But they go up as the weeks and months go by, which I find kind of odd. But whatever, right? Like an episode from like two months ago only had like 10 listeners on like the first week. But now it has like 60. Like, well, I don't know what this is. Maybe people are really behind. But I, I don't mind. Uh, I shouldn't be worried about the numbers, right? And I got people in my DM saying, Oh, I love the podcast. Keep doing it. Are you going to continue the podcast? Now you're now the tie's gone. Or now that you're at point shot. Um, this is one of my favorite podcasts. You're very good at it. Uh, and that's, that's what I love. To see. I haven't got any people saying that your podcast sucks. And... You, you, uh, 
you should stop doing it, thankfully. I mean, if I do, I'm, I'm not going to continue it regardless, right? And now I'm part of Point Shot Hockey with Sean, Malcolm, Brad, Sam, and Carter. I'm edit only editing their episodes, but um, nothing set in stone yet. But there are plans about Point Shot and Avid Discussers that I won't reveal too much about in the new year. But uh, stick around. I won't reveal too much. And if I do, Sean's probably going to kill me. But... There were as much. This year really sucked for a lot of people. Um, I'm not making a lot of income. I mean, I mean, this year, this pandemic, it uh, it affected my mental health in a way, like in ways that it didn't before. Like it wasn't serious. Not like I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna open up now, but I'm not. Wasn't at the point where I wanted to kill myself or anything like that, or where I needed medication. But there were times where I felt hopeless, like. I didn't, like, when is this pandemic going to end? Like, I'm never going to become a, be part of sports media. Like, what if I never make it? Uh, how am I going to live, how am I going to live with myself now that this is the second, not first, second global recession of my lifetime? Like, and not only that, like, with the, the, uh, George Floyd protest, the Black Lives Matter movement, that people still don't get it, like, get why racism is a bad thing, and all that, and, um, wasn't, I was very, I've barely gone outside since the pandemic, when I, like, yeah, I went for, began, like, I went out for walks, like, around the neighborhood, but, especially in the summer, that's, like, mostly all the outdoor stuff I did, like, I haven't gone to the mall since the pandemic began, I've been to downtown, like, twice, uh, I have not hung out with my friends. We've talked only through group chats, and most of them aren't really like they never really go outside anyway. So this is perfect for me and all and a lot of us. I have not gone to a pub since the pandemic began. I miss it so damn much. Uh, I want and I've like felt hopeless. I find I felt kind of, kind of worried. Like, what if my my parents get, get the virus, because they are they're essential and workers, and um, like, what if I get it, when my sister gets it, since there was an outbreak at her school. Well, not like an outbreak. Like some people had it. Thankfully, I don't know anyone who has had it, or died from it. But a lot of people have. And some people haven't are still not taking this seriously, but uh, yeah, like like minor anxiety, like minor depression. So I'm, that's kind of what the, the pandemic brought me. And uh, but but I've always looked on like the old saying goes, like that song goes, always look on the bright side of life. And I have the faith too, which I cling on to. And twenty twenty one. Though, it, all our problems and the pandemic won't just magically disappear at 12 o'clock on midnight on New Year's Eve. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. And all I can hope is that it gets better from here. Like, there's a vaccine now. My mom got it. Got the first dose of the Pfizer one. Uh, 
I just, I'm probably not going to get it till like June or September. That normal life will return eventually. And then maybe I can get a full-time a job somewhere in the media. May not be high-paying or luxurious, but it could be something, right? And this podcast, too. It's it's starting, it's doesn't have a big following, but has listeners. And hopefully it can continue to grow, and I want it, this to continue with this, because this is my baby. I want, there are some big guests I want on here. Um, there are some things I want to try out. Twitch streaming, that's going to be something fun. But, I know I spent a lot of the bad things on 2020, like, like all the celebrity deaths. Um, like, we lost so many legends here. Like, we lost Shadwick Boseman, we lost Neil Perp, we lost Eddie Van Halen. Ah, and all the weird stuff that's happened. Like, the Browns are good, the Patriots suck. Let's focus on the good things. Like, I graduated from journalism school. This podcast started. Writing for Canuck Way, I've gotten more readers. I've gotten better. People have said they love my writing. Not just my editors, but people like in general on Twitter. Uh, people have messaged me on Facebook saying that they liked my articles. That's That makes me feel good. I mean, that feels good. Uh, but um, other than myself, like... The Canucks, they made the playoffs, although in the not in the normal circumstances, they made the playoffs for the first time in five years, and they won a playoff series for the first time since 2011. Like, the highest points of 2020 for me, and I guess for a lot of Canucks fans, is the win over Minnesota when Chris Tanev scored that overtime winner, and when the Canucks lit up Jordan Bennington in Game 6. Though it wasn't the best series, they were heavily outplayed against Vegas, and Thatcher Demko pretty much carried them to seven. I mean, you still gotta be proud of the feat that they went that far. Like, a lot of people didn't predict the Canucks to make the playoffs, or even beat St. Louis. And though the offseason didn't go as planned, uh, there's still hope for this team, like, that they can make the playoffs. And the future does look bright, especially with, like, Patterson. Hughes already looking like two of the best players in the league. Brock Besser, hopefully he can take another step. Same with Horvat. Uh, Thatcher Demko has potential. JT Miller, though not a young guy, but he's been just an absolute beast. Eh, like, the Canucks are still a few years away, but I see this team becoming one of the best eventually. And you can argue that the contracts are holding them back, which I have to agree. And... Well, I mean, it's not going to be next year, maybe the year after, likely the year after that, but the Canucks will be a cup contender. But, another good things on, another good thing that's happened around, um, I mean, Chelsea finished top four, um, they signed a bunch of players, the Seahawks, they've made the playoffs, they beat the Eagles in the wildcard game last year, man, that feels like forever ago, but loss to the Packers, Blue Jays, though not Expanded, it was an expanded playoff format. They made the playoffs too. But outside of sports, this year was a pretty good year for music, despite it. The everything's going on. Taylor Swift released two new albums. First one was a lot better than the second. I'll say, I'll say that. I'm, no, I'm not the biggest fan of Taylor Swift. 
I'll give her credit for that. Uh, the Run the Jewels 4, that was a good album. The Killers released a new album, also pretty good. My favorite album of the year is probably Fiona Apple's Vegetable Cutters. Um, the Strokes, their new album. That was pretty good too. Uh, they're, um, though like Green Day, they released a new album too, but it was one of their worst albums. It was, no, it's their worst album. Like, it's just so, just, ugh. But they released two albums, I think, yeah, another album under their side project called The Network, and it sounds completely nothing like Green Day, it's just some weird new wave synth stuff. That was much better. Uh, movies, I didn't really go to the theater a lot. But, uh, I've been watching a lot of older movies on Netflix since the pandemic began. Like, really. Um, on Twitter, too. I've met some great people. And, I, like, how many followers do I have? 635? That's way more friends than I do in real life. Like, I'm part of two podcasts now. My own and Point Shot. And... The broadcast started giving a new voice to women in Vancouver and in the hockey world. Like others have started their own podcasts. Others have started writing. People, somebody has reached out to me to help them. I've reached out to, to others to come on here and for guidance. Like uh, it's it's still got still got a way to go, but I feel like I'm starting to establish myself as a young. Um, hopeful, like a media journal, so a young journalist in the city. Though I don't really call myself that. I'm not like Harmon Dial or David Gudrelli yet, but I'll get there. I know I will. So, uh, other than that, I think this is the last episode of 2020, and 33 episodes in, and more, more will be coming in 2021. More guests. Uh, more rants, more highs, more lows, maybe, maybe some promo videos, maybe some roundtables, I don't know, I'll see. Uh, hopefully some, this podcast will continue to grow, so I like, 2020 was bad, it can go to hell for all I care, but here's 2021, hopefully it's better, yeah, hopefully it is for me, not just for me actually, for you, for your family, everyone. So I'd like to take this opportunity to wish you all a happy new year. And uh, hope 2021 is good to you. Hope you get, uh, I don't know, like a new job, a new car. Oh, I don't know. I just hope good things happen to all of you. Like anything. So happy new year to all of you. Uh, wish you all the best. And I'll catch you on the flip side to next year, 2021. Peace out.